0: Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder and partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with Lawson Baker, head of special projects at TokenSoft and also working on a new project called Relay Zero. Lawson, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Um So just quick disclaimer, uh, all of these opinions are mine. Of course. None of this is legal advice, yes. uh, financial advice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it does not reflect TokenSoft views or any of course. our customers.
0: So Lawson, what are you most excited about in the crypto space right now? And how did you get to where you are right now?
1: Sure. Um, so I'm super excited in this idea that um, Bitcoin started both a revolution in money, but also in like how we coordinate work. So my background is I uh, was obsessed with the stock market from like, you know, 13, 14, started reading Money Magazine, um, decided I wanted to kind of have a, a different route into investment banking, um, went to law school to get an investment banking job, uh, originating like fixed income bonds and leases for about four or five years, uh, realized I was renting my time and was more interested in like opportunities to to uh, invest my time and looking for equity in startup, um, and so I joined a company called Synapse Pay, which is now Synapse Fi, uh, which is a banking API company. And their first product market fit was essentially an ACH um, API and KYC and AML API, uh, basically money movement and uh, know your customer and anti money laundering. In 2014, um, both APIs were new and there were no banking APIs. Um, and so uh, our first uh, customers ended up being cryptocurrency exchanges. And as a result, basically had one foot in fintech and one foot in like this other new revolution. In that process, um, I started to realize that the banking API has definitely felt like this bridge technology to something else. Um, and that was definitely what was happening in the cryptocurrency space. Um, and also was learning a whole lot to see what basically what was the, the underside of, of crypto, which is the banking connection. Um, a lot of, uh, exchanges at the time didn't know how to manage risk and manage fraud, but there was definitely something really exciting that was going on there. And so from there, I ended up leaving, um, Synapse, um, to start a project, um, I called Relay Zero. Um, around this idea, looking for, like, what are the, like, fundamental problems in the space? Um, and if you were to look at, like, really Zoom way out, like, what is, like, the 10-year narrative, the 20-year narrative, the long-term narratives? Uh, in that process, I joined on at TokenSoft, uh, head of special projects. Um, we call it Project Zero. Uh, which is essentially like, what do we think the future of security tokens would look like in the future? To me, uh, the future of security tokens is essentially, um, two things. You have tradition, you have tokenizing traditional finance. Um, and then you have these other assets. Um, the, the other assets for me, uh, is definitely like this idea of like, uh, how can you allocate capital on chain or secured by chain to demonstrable cash flows on chain or secured by the chain? Um, which, which from a big picture standpoint is, is really like the entire service is supported by or is the chain, and you know. So I was I was listening to one of your podcasts recently um, with the uh, the pioneer guy Daniel Gross. That one was really kind of a, a good one for me because it's just like how do you coordinate people online to do things and like create competition and as a result pr- produce a new service. Now there's clearly no crypto involved with that, but it's definitely an interesting idea of like coordinating people. Yeah. Let's
0: go back to security tokens for a second. When you think about the future tokenizing non-finance assets, what are some examples or use cases? Like what, what could that look like in a concrete way?
1: Yeah. I mean, so um, I guess it's first, it's good to start with first. What is like the security tokens for traditional finance? The, the way I describe like tokenizing, like let's just say Facebook, for example, tokenizing Facebook is kind of like a PDF in the New York times to get it on the internet in the nineties. You effectively got um The news and the Internet, but you probably haven't used the technology to its capability. News and the Internet is probably something like Twitter and Medium and like what's happening with even podcasts now. Right. Uh, around that idea, like, you know, the, these opportunities to allocate capital towards demonstrable cash flows on chain. The very first version of this cash on chain cash flow was was Bitcoin and proof of work. In that scenario, you, you just have essentially the revenue of the business online, which is the the block reward, the Bitcoin reward. Um, uh, but the rest of the business lives offline, uh, the miners and things like that. I think as we see these things start to evolve, we're starting to see different types of work solving for different types of problems. But, but definitely trying to incentivize workers to provide some sort of trust minimized uh, service uh, that relates to the Internet. Yeah.
0: And why is trust minimization so important?
1: Trust minimization is very important when you look at the entire narrative of the Internet. Um, so, so like the narrative of the Internet, as I see it, is essentially this. So first, in, in 1969, we got had DARPA grant, and we started connecting a whole bunch of computers on you know, the West Coast in the U.S. And in, in that time frame, it was pretty much for super technical people to jump from server to server to server. Between servers, you kind of knew. There was actually an, inter, there was an Internet phone book. Um And so that happened for about 25 years. we were figuring out how to like connect the pipes and funnel the funnels and 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 move all the information around. During that time frame, we started to realize like you can move information cheaply and free-ish. And, and then as we move through that, um, you get to uh, Netscape 1994, um, and it was the first time like non-technical people had this like portal to look into this information on the internet. Uh, and then at that time, you would uh, go to. Uh, villageglobal.com. Uh, you look at some information, and you'd probably click a link and you'd bounce to another website and bounce to another website and bounce to another website because there was no real great way to like find the information. Google said, that's not great. Let's index the information for you. Um, uh, and then in the early 2000s, we had a whole lot of, uh, interesting social experiments. Like, what do people look like when they organize themselves? And so we had, uh, Facebook and Twitter and we started to look like how do like people who know each other pass around information? And then in 2008, 2009, we started having a lot of interesting experiments with strangers and like bringing trust to strangers. The most popular ones were, were uh, Airbnb and Uber. Um, and those those were platforms that essentially connected strangers to pass around um, information. That information was a work order. Uh, right smack dab in the middle when both of those were created, we also got Bitcoin, um, and it connected strangers as well. Except for the first time, it allowed us to pass around trust minimized information, and that information ended up being money um, at first. And so you ask like, why is the trust minimized? Part of information important. It's important because like at the end of the day, the internet is passing around information for us and we, and we haven't been able to always trust the person passing it around. And so basically it's a combination of like, where where does cryptography meet game theory to encourage actors to be good? And, and as a result, uh, make it, make it um, statistically very hard to not be trust minimized information.
0: So let's say. We're 10 years from now doing this podcast again. And you, you said, say the same framework. If I'm to summarize the start of the internet starts in 1969 with DARPA. How do you describe the last 10 years?
1: Yeah. So, so the last 10 years is, is really interesting. Everything post Bitcoin, um, has really been in this generalized money bucket and trying to solve for something that Bitcoin doesn't do today, but could maybe in the future. So scalability, privacy, fungibility. Um, and then you have like this money plus bucket. Um Ethereum was the most obvious first money plus bucket. Um it was both this thing that looked like money, but also this thing that was trying to deliver trusts in what they call smart contracts. Um but but um really what that means is like this thing you can develop against and you know it will always do the same thing. Um uh, regardless um, and so what that essentially allows for developers to do today, if you believe it won't be forked out or will, won't be broken by a future upgrade, um, you can essentially deploy uh, applications um, for technical people um, on Ethereum that in theory could exist forever. And, and that's a pretty powerful idea. Um, I think what we've learned from Ethereum's inter- infrastructure that like maybe the implementation is not the right one, but the idea that, uh, you could deploy something that can, can continue to exist and be supported by third parties, uh, without them being able to censor it is, is pretty powerful. Um, and so, like, I think Chris Dixon, um, said it the best is like, trust minimization is a new software primitive. Um, it will, it will definitely start with developers wanting to develop and replace certain parts of internet infrastructure. Uh, handshake's a good example. Um, handshake is essentially a, a protocol that is trying to deliver trust at what's called the, uh, the DNS, uh, layer of the internet, which is literally the pipes and the funnels. When you type in Lawson.com, um, how do you get to the IP address and the, of the servers? Um, uh, that resolves that. And right now that's a essential constraint point in the internet. Uh, what they're trying to do with handshake is bring what, uh, the trust minimization that Bitcoin gave. To like resolving where to get to the right um, address and the, lo- the right location of your service, yeah. it really it just comes down to the base layers of the internet. Um, the, this this money plus bucket to me is starting to look a lot more like a microservice for the internet rather than just generalized money. Right. Um, so ten years from now, uh, I think this is very this is again on a very long time horizon, um, but uh, it's definitely starting to replace key constraint points of the internet that are being, um, constrained today, censored today, et cetera, et cetera. Um, a good example of that is, um, RTM is being blocked in Venezuela. And so people are trying to get access to this server, this app or, or, te- or signal is being, uh, blocked by how many different countries in the world? Um, there, there are both, uh, software, solutions for certain parts of that of how how to get around that but I think I think we really just need to look at like how the internet is put together today and as a result like what could be different
0: yeah there are people who say that Bitcoin to be great digital gold it has to make certain trade-offs that will uh, prevent it from being say hey to bring the cliche phrase a world computer and there are other people that say no everything that's working elsewhere will eventually be adopted within Bitcoin via some mechanisms where do you fall in that in that debate <laughs>
1: It's kind of like saying we're not going to have the newspaper anymore, like the newspaper still exists. We still have tons of centralized providers on the Internet because they will provide value for certain types of services. But I think we'll start to see trends towards certain types of services that otherwise weren't uh, either socially acceptable, uh, maybe legal in one country, but okay in another country uh, or just like. People want control of their stuff. Um, and so like, you know, like social media applications are starting to censor people's activity. You either just have to get a new platform that likes your activity um, or just change the way you interact with your information.
0: But even uh, even within sort of decentralized world, do you think that there will be a one coin or one, you know, uh, one project winner take all? Or will uh, how many winners will there be or what type what will the ecosystem look like?
1: Uh, so, in in the money bucket, in the in the money only bucket, I think those would be one or a grouping of of, of 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 types of money. Um, but but as I mentioned before, these are something else besides this money. We're, redef- we're redefining what money what money is and what organizations look like. Right. For, so uh, I'll give you kind of the story of like the the, the story of like organizations. Yeah. So um, uh, in the 1600s, we had the the, the Dutch East Indian Tea Company. This was the this was like a quasi governmental quasi private organization that uh, essentially was the first organization to uh, issue shares and bonds to third party investors. And so what it what it essentially did is it, it is it abstracted this layer away of like third party capital allocators can give capital to workers to provide a service that will be given to con- consumers of that service and as a result um pay back the workers and and extract outward to these um to these investors. Um and so that was like super powerful. That like that led to the like to like the capital markets revolution we have today. That's that's exactly why we have capital markets today. Eventually that was like that first it started off as this like quasi-governmental organization and then it just went um more towards private organizations and and states started recognizing that. And and so where that essentially takes us is is I believe cryptocurrencies are are protocols that basically um, remove the need for a Delaware C-Corp to provide services on the internet. Um, and, and so that's, that's a pretty, I believe a pretty powerful like idea that like um, you can create um, rules to incentivize workers to provide a service and never need a Delaware C-Corp to do it. Um, and then, and then, you know, the whole group of people wanted to say, okay, cool. Then like you created a partnership and now everybody's liable for it. Um, and so like, yeah, maybe. But we also have like these, a lot of these really powerful, um, privacy tools. And so basically like, um, both the privacy tools and cryptography that we have, um, in addition to the incentive mechanisms we have will start to replace the need for this idea of a corporation to like coordinate workers.
0: The same question for 10 years from now. How will it have played out in terms of what organizations will look like?
1: I think we're going to see a lot of uh, new experiments with trying to solve for uh, these internet problems. Um, uh, you know, so a, a lot of the, the problems that we're seeing are going towards like basically a trend back towards the, this peer to peer type of internet we had. Um, at the very, at the very beginning of the internet, it was very peer to peer, server to server. And then we started going from peer to cloud, like Google and back down to peer. Um, I think 10 years from now, it'll start to look like, um, peer to peer, except we're interacting with layers of distributed services, um, in addition to, in some cases, centralized clouds. Right. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a layering. And so that's why when I, earlier when I said microservices, one of these alone is not enough to provide a complete service. Right. For example, if you were to deploy a, a DAO or a smart contract on Ethereum, uh, very few people would be able to access that. Um, because you still need a website, you still need servers, um, all of these other types of things up and down the stack have to be solved for. 10 years from now, we'll essentially, look, we'll start to layer these types of services together to f- create new types of services and applications.
0: Yeah. And, but on a company level or organizational level, will we still have the same hierarchies that we have today and make decisions based on those hierarchies? Or will we be using friction markets? or other, like uh, how, how do you think the the standard corporation itself will evolve.
1: I mean, the standard corporation will continue for probably hundreds of years from now. Um, I just don't think it's required for certain types of work. Like I don't think these protocols are right for everything. Yeah. Um, there, there must be like um, a lot at stake in the work right. and or a scale like not previously thought about. Um, the internet definitely told us, told us that scale of organizations is like completely different. Um, this is why the most valuable companies in the world are centralized, um, uh, internet providers. I think we'll start to see that type of scale exist in, in other types of services, but, but 10 years from now, it's not going to be a complete application for consumers.
0: Right. And you talk about how, you know, going back to the beginning of the podcast, you're excited about future money, but also the future of coordinated work and how crypto enables that. Say more about that, what, what that could look like and where you're most excited within there. Another way of asking if you were starting a fund focused on the crypto space, how might you think about what types of projects will emerge that you think will be, will capture a lot of value?
1: Yeah. I mean, so the, the question of like, if, if I were starting to fund is, is a very interesting one because I think that's very much a, a function of like how, if, if we look back at how most people have been holding these assets. So both wallets, custodial wallets to e- exchanges to even funds, um, most people have been holding these things, um, passively. Um, as these like little things and little rubies or pieces of gold, they're gonna like make me money in the future. Um, and to me, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, to me, these are vehicles for new economic activity. And in those vehicles for new economic activity, the passive holder, um, this third party, uh, value extractor probably will underperform, um, this active worker. Um, and this active, this active, uh, investor. And so, um, what we'll see out of that and what, what Relay Zero is, is basically software-based venture funds. Um, and basically this, this idea, um, that, um, you must be a worker in these protocols to, um, actually extract the value. Uh, without quote, being a worker, then, um, there's probably a less of a reason to passively be in it, or at least uh, the incentives are lower.
0: Right. So what might the implications of that be in terms of where value is created and captured?
1: Yeah, so this is, this kind of goes towards this de-evolution of the firm. Like, so in the, in this, in the idea of a firm, um, you basically had, um, this incentive protocol, um, that, uh, the fiduciary duty of the board was to the investors to produce a profit. And that protocol was, was always incentivizing doing things more efficiently, um, having proprietary secrets, um, having IP, having patents to extract value better than their competitors in 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 the world of the internet and especially in open source protocols like there there is no ip it exists it's all open the se- the secret sauce is is not is not in 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 the open source the secret sauce is like how you incentivize your community right. um and that community is both users and workers yeah. um less so this like passive holder right. um, uh, and so um uh these these users and workers will um uh start to be able to participate in the success of their use or work. It, it, so I, I wrote this uh spec of a, a gambling DAO called Baba Fa um with another guy named Patrick Kershaw, um who's my partner with Real Zero. And most of that is his brainchild. Um but um in, in Baba Fa basically it's this idea of a gambling DAO um where the user is a player the user is a worker and the user also is the shareholder. Um, and, and passively holding of what we call card eight or the, or the token in it is essentially, um, uh, disincentivized. Um, you must always be contributing back to the organization. Um, I think that's a baby idea of, of, of something much larger that, um, because these won't need a Delaware C Corp. Um, and, and as a result, don't need outside investors. Um all of the value will accrue back to the users or the workers.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, so for the audience, DAOs stand for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Where do you think will be the first use cases that really take off?
1: Uh gaming. G- gaming. gaming, gambling. FOMO 3D was this essentially this project released by a bunch of anonymous developers. It looked like a lottery. It also looked like a Ponzi scheme, um, but it used something called a bonding curve to incentivize both the early user and the later user. Um, And uh, in a bonding curve, the early user is incentivized to give, um, uh, put money into this lottery um, because they can win right then, Um, but they also get have their their buyout price um, um, increases as the second and third and the fourth user comes in after them. So that sounds like a multi level marketing scheme or a Ponzi scheme. Um, but w- w- when you look at it, it's it's really just a better lottery. Um, and uh, you basically know exactly how much money is in there, and you know how much you can win at any time. And there's no extraction for higher education or whatever lottery proceeds are used for. Um, and so I personally, I'm super excited about like, what do, um, these organizations look like in gaming and game and gaming and gambling. Yeah. Um, because I think, I think in those areas is where we're playing with this idea, kind of like pioneer where we're like, uh, we're trying to get people excited about doing something. Um, and so like, so captcha, captcha is when you're trying to log into a website and it thinks you're a bot, it says like, Hey, show me all the cars. Um, that was a that was a solution to like get rid of bots on websites, but it was also like getting people to give free work, with, like train uh, uh, machine learning algorithms how to identify cars. Incredibly exciting. So there's another game that one of my old roommates used to play with um, called Ingress. Ingress is like this game where like two, uh, I think it's red and blue team, go around like the city of San Francisco, and you're literally in an alley fighting over control of this alley, and and. I think there's really something really incredible in this idea of like this game and this user in this specific organization doing something. They don't necessarily realize it, but like I think some of that stuff can end up being work. Um, and so, uh, I was traveling, I, I try, every time I travel, I like, I just love like watching like, um, not love watching it, but like it's, it's hard not to notice in all of these different countries. People do have smartphones. They have access to the internet. It's, it's almost like a lot of wasted, wasted labor or just people just you know people in a variety in second to third world countries um uh, don't always have opportunities to, to always be working yeah. and so as a result they're kind of just like uh, hanging out in the corner store in the bodega right. on their phone and a lot of times they're playing games or doing something on social media and like i believe there's a huge opportunity to, to keep helping them play games but um they're going to end up being able to do a little work along the way right. um and in in uh, large populations, that work will end up um, with the right incentives um, being able to, I think, solve for different types of work. And trust me, this is what Earn. com was trying to do in some capacity. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. So I or yeah. the
0: vision of it. Maybe
1: they did. Yeah, different yeah. case. That, that idea of like being able to perform work for an email is is, is very interesting. I, th- I think you have to think a little deeper of like why you would do it. You, you can't just strap a token on every every business model, like. You must be doing something fundamentally different. For, for me, like, successful cryptocurrencies are, are vehicles for new economic activity, not previously possible. That economic activity will uh, 99% of the time be internet-based. Um, and in, in, in that world, like, you need to be solving for a problem that exists on the internet. Right. Um, and, um, we already have spam filters, so I don't, I don't know if that was the, Maybe that's a solution later on, but yeah. I don't know if we're there for that to be the problem. Yeah.
0: If you were starting a company in that space, what the use case might?
1: No, but I like to talk, talking with lots of great groups and then maybe help fund them so, do it.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, is that what you're trying to do with Relay Zero? Relay Zero, is that?
1: Yeah, so so, so Relay Zero, as I mentioned, is a, is a software-based venture fund all around this idea that um, we will invest in the future of work uh, and these incentives, and we will do that by deploying software to perform the protocol-level work or the work of of these tools built on top of even core level base level protocols um, and so what that essentially is is like it's it's economic arbitrage uh, meets software development it's it's quantitative analysis meets meets trading meets putting together an algorithm to perform a work a little bit better than a, than another worker um uh, at the very simplest level like an idea of like work as proof of work or even staking um uh, staking's not very interesting to me i believe the more interesting types of work will be the more complex type of work um curation oracle or oracle type work um, I think those are like definitely unsolved computer science problems and like incentive problems. Um, but we're seeing a lot of interesting experiments around that with auger and things like that. Um, uh, those are the most interesting types of work that I think will over an extended period of time continue to have value for the workers.
0: Yeah. What do, uh, do you think about the state of prediction markets and how that will uh, evolve over time?
1: Prediction markets are incredibly exciting. Um, Ora is incredibly exciting. Um, uh, I, I think we're still trying to figure out how to get the the users to to come into those markets. Um, I also believe we no one's actually solved the Oracle problem. I, I asked this question on Twitter recently, like, "What's your favorite Oracle project?" Um, and uh, a lot of people had a lot of like answers, but but um, I, I don't. A lot of people had a great answers of what they thought was the best project, but nobody could answer why. Um, I, I literally was just trying to say, like, how, how can a, a system, a protocol that's in, encouraging oracles to deliver information on a bet? It doesn't have all the information. Basically, like, you could care less if, if you were going to attack the, the system with incorrect information because all of this stuff is offline. Um, and as a result, you don't have all the information to incentivize the oracle. Yeah. Um, and so, like, um, oracles will always trend towards well could uh, could trend towards being malicious if they wanted to because all of the information is not there to right. properly incentivize them to be a good actor or a bad actor
0: so what do you think it's going to take for this to go mainstream
1: oracle uh, continued work um, smart teams working um, on, on a very hard problem um, I think that'll be like a probably still easy another multi-decade problem that I think will exist, continue to exist so now government's
0: yep. run by production markets any okay. okay.
1: No, no, I, I think, I think, um, Oracle, the Oracle problem is akin to tokenizing traditional finance, like traditional finance, tokenized traditional finance is definitely grabbing this offline asset and trying to put a token on it. Um, oracles are grabbing this offline information and trying to solve for it, um, a little too much with this online world. Right. You know, I think, I think that problem is hard for both for the same reason yeah. or similar reasons. Yep. What about identity and reputation? Yeah, so identity reputation is incredibly interesting, um, to me. Um, I, I, believe we're, we're trending towards this, this, as I mentioned, this peer-to-peer type of internet, um, uh, where in my belief, um, uh, identity and certain portions of the services are local. Um, and so, uh, interesting ideas with identity that are, I'm following right now is like, is, is block stack and this idea that identity is local, um, but the, the applications are distributed. And so they're putting together kind of interesting, um, tools around that. Um uh, but you also have things like Keybase. Keybase is uh PGP key management strapped on top of uh like this social validation. So like I have a very active Twitter account, um I have an active Hacker News account, and I can also prove my um website at the DNS. It's this idea that like you can um both attach this identity to uh, this socially proved identity, um these social social networks, GitHub, Twitter, whatever, um with this local identity which is like my private keys yeah um i think there's a very interesting idea in what key base is or even what um, Blockstack is there's this narrative that says we started out on the internet we went
0: from anonymous to pseudonymous to all real names and that will go back to pseudonymous yes. and, and anonymous over time uh, 10 years from now how are we talking about how identity is and reputation has evolved on the internet
1: I, 100% agree with that narrative. I, I tweeted at the end of last year that like the 2019, the narrative is definitely the anonymous developer and anonymous projects. FOMO 3D last year was definitely a good example of that. Grin was an example of two of the core developers were anonymous. And I believe we'll continue to see that, especially, um, given the state of regulation. I think we're going to see a lot of people trying to deploy networks um or things DAOs, decent, decentralized autonomous organizations on top of these networks um anonymously or pseudo anonymously frankly because the technology allows them to do it um but regulation is gray or maybe doesn't allow them to do it um and so it's very the incentive is to do it anonymously and i think we're going to continue seeing that um this this year specifically i think is that i think that trend is kicking back off
0: it's interesting to think about uh, when you think about the problems with, uh, to kind of, there are problems with identity. Uh, one is, um, well, there are many, but one is this concept of scale is really interesting, but there are certain things that were supposed to be for small groups, but then because of the internet are now at scale and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. So language, for example, has scaled in some ways really, really well. The English language, you know, we all, I'll speak it. I'll understand what we're talking about um and then but reputation or celebrity is sort of this weird thing where we were we sort of our software says that if if we're shamed by one group it's um akin can you know you could potentially be killed whereas today and if you're shamed by one group you could just go to another group and there's millions of other groups you can go by but we still operate on the same sort of survival software so there's sort of a problem around celebrity and that it doesn't really scale uh super well what's what's your take on that
1: so let me make sure I understand uh, your question or comment. You, you, what you're trying to say is um, because of the scale of the internet, uh, an a internet celebrity trying to scale ends up being um, attacked at a scale of we've never seen right. before? Is, is that yeah.
0: Not, be, there um, are sort of negative externalities of, of having one name and being able to contact people at scale or communicate with people at scale. Unintended consequences that we didn't
1: yeah, yeah. foresee. Um, I mean, I, I personally have like uh, dealt with this before. I have like a... Quasi, you know, I have a quasi popular Twitter account, but like not that many followers, yeah. like 4,000. Uh, it's very exciting to like put out information that people care about yeah. and want to, want to talk about, debate about, and like they end up following you because you're right. putting, you're putting some sort of thought out there that is interesting to them. But as that grows, like you start to have like people, more and more people who will disagree with you as well. Right. Um, and so I, I personally dealt with that with, uh, the ripple trolls on Twitter. Um, I was kind of one of the early ones to identify like how do you um basically look at a quote cryptocurrency um post launch and like is it a security or is it not a security? Um I, I used to think I was the, the most hated person by or the top probably top five most hated person by Ripple Twitter. Um but then somebody made a Dungeons and Dragons fork to go around and kill all the Ripple Fudsters. And I was the final dragon for them to kill. Oh, wow. And so I may be one of their higher up than I thought I was. Wow. Um, that was a very proud moment that someone randomly on the internet had made me a, <laughs> uh, a dragon yeah. in a in a forked game.
0: You never um, know what you mean to other people.
1: Yeah. Um, but that being said, I've almost had my phone ported. I've had people in my direct messages literally give me death threats. You know, it's like you kind of want to aid on account because of that. I I try to treat everybody fairly and like have civil discussions and not use names when I talk about things, but like not everybody has the same rules and like, cool, that's them. Um, but you kind of have to deal with that if you're a public face, Right. I think there's something, I I haven't really thought about it in the context that you have, the popularity doesn't scale on the internet because of the nature of the internet, like being able to do things at at such rapid pace. Yeah. Well, it's something scale. I mean, you
0: can get your message out. I mean, some, there are a lot of positive consequences, but there's sort of unintended consequences that. You know, people sort of opt out, like Mark Andreessen doesn't tweet anymore. You know, biology doesn't. I mean, a bunch of people just opt out. And that's sort of a deadweight loss to society in some ways. The Another example of of just things not porting at scale is like, for example, what do gun regulation laws mean in a world of 3D printing guns? Or like free speech regulations, you know, before the internet, after the internet, and then, you know, soon to be a decentralized internet, because, you know, you still have Twitter Facebook. You know, banning people and such. What does that look like? Uh, you have a law background. Yeah, of course. Your name is Lawson. How can yeah, you not yeah. uh, have a law background? But it's just interesting how the law will, needs to evolve, or will evolve, or, or won't evolve.
1: You know, that's kind of I, my my central premise is you can't stop the internet. Uh, the same is true uh, with with gun laws and 3D printed guns. Is true with with cryptocurrencies. Um, you can kind of you can try to turn these things off. But just by the nature of how the internet is structured, it's very hard. Um, there's definitely essential constraint points. Um, and that's part of what I'm talking about that, that, that the most interesting pro- crypt- cryptocurrency protocols for me are trying to solve for. This is part of an evolution of like, um, when there are people who don't want you to do something, people will figure out how to do something if there's enough incentives. Um, that is, that has occurred pre-internet and will occur on the internet. It's just, it's just happening at, at, uh, at a scale we've never thought possible. Well, I mean, I think I, I mentioned this before the podcast or in the show notes of this, the four chan uh, uh, anonymous poster who like solved this like math ma- like incredible mathematical problem that nobody had solved before it ended up getting cited in the paper in a, in a research paper by like people in universities. It was the very first author, which is the first author is really for the first person who did it. I think this is powerful. Like there are people in forums discussing everything and debating and some of that will be very productive we, we will create things we've never created before just by the nature of like more people talking about it and it also being indexed it's there kind of forever um, and so if every conversation you ever, if every person ever had was indexed, A, that would be scary and that's horrible for privacy. But like it also, the other side of that is like the stuff that is indexed, um, could be very powerful to solve something we haven't been able to solve before. Yeah. Um, or identify something we haven't been able to solve before.
0: One other thing you've thought a lot about is, is the future of capitalism and how that evolves over time. And there, people say things like post-capitalism. People say things like, Hey, we're just in the early innings of, of capitalism. What's your take, and what, what do these phrases even mean?
1: I love capitalism. I'll just be clear on that. So, like, the stock market is what I was obsessed with from a very young age. Um, I, I just think the corporation is crumbling um, in certain use cases. Um, the uh, and, and I, I just believe it does We don't. We don't necessarily need them anymore. Um, it, it's really just this function of like. What are the boundaries of the internet? It's clearly global. And so like, what does like the jurisdiction of California or the US really mean to that? Uh, the same is true for corporations. Corporations are, are something recognized by literally a state within the United States and then recognized by the United States. And so like, so I have to have a corporation in every country I want to operate. Like, no, you don't, you don't need them anymore. It's, it's not that I'm anti-capitalism. I'm just saying you don't need them for the internet and and you don't need them you need markets
0: but not corporations you need
1: markets incentives you need economic incentives and markets and if you can and that's really all that comes down to and so there will continue to be like huge um corporations and they'll be successful um but i think in in, in other areas and certain types of internet related problems we won't um, because those will by default be uncompetitive to the alternative right what's your take on income share agreements Oh, nice. ISAs. Love ISAs. Uh, so I, income sharing agreements for background is this idea of like getting an education in, in say a developer's class, like a 10 course class, and they'll give it to you for free. Um, under the agreement that if you make a job over say $50,000 a year, um, you'll pay them back at X percentage rate capped up at, say, $30,000 in three years. And so that's the Lambda school model. I don't remember how long their actual program is, but this idea that, like, you'll pay back a percentage of your earnings to the school. Um, but if you don't have enough earnings under the contract, you don't owe them anything. And so that's essentially the opposite of debt. It's, it's, it's kind of like equity in your f- future earnings. Um, I think that's very powerful. I definitely am very excited about where that goes it's also around this idea that I think like centralized education institutions are like the exact opposite of what the internet represents. Um, and so if you can educate people like in mass online for free and also encourage um, via like social coordination or social pressure for them to, to also make sure you get paid back. Um, I think we'll see a, a lot of that continue to exist um, and, and will grow a lot. Um, I actually was, Helping uh, someone put together kind of a, a DAO for ISAs recently. Um, it was definitely a mashup of, of old world and, and new world. Um, the old world because the workers are definitely offline and you need like the employer to, to pay, um, in Ethereum or whatever it gets built on. But this idea of, of a, of a income sharing agreement DAO, um, where, um, third party, third parties can give, um, funds to the DAO to uh invest in say like a class of uh, class of uh 2019 computer devs from lambda school version 2.0 or something like that and as a result you can basically via a smart contract create what's called a lockbox in legal terms where funds come in uh from employer and then are distributed out um first to if if it meets the rules of over 50,000 a year um, whatever that equates to monthly, it can pay out both the, uh, employee prior student and either the educator or the prior investor. So I'm super excited about where those go.
0: Totally. So while we're conjecturing on, on the roles of different, uh, di- different things, one question I have for you is 10 years from now, how are we talking about how the role of government ha- has evolved? And maybe, of course, that's a multi, multi decade thing, but h- how do you see that playing out in the future?
1: I'm probably, you know net bear on you know the united states continue to be in a world power um i think there will be lots of offline governments that will con- continue to try to become the world power and we'll see where that kind of goes um to me i, I think uh we we kind of have two lives the, the the one we live um when we walk on the street and the one we live online um governments do not I don't think they port well to online. Right. And so governments this idea of governments today is like um is definitely like social media deciding what can be posted or what whatnot. I think corporations right now are are essentially our only version of internet governments. Um and that's a problem. Uh and so that's kind of what these protocols are solving for. Yeah. Offline governments, like I don't know, I'm not gonna conjecture whether it be war or not, but <laughs> um I don't think offline governments are competitive on the internet what it comes Yeah. From.
0: And what will replace, what will be replaced and what will replace them?
1: How do people organize themselves? We're seeing how people organize over around like whatever their interests are. Um, and, and many times they live in, they live multiple lives in multiple, um, groups. For example, like I could be in a biohacking group under this, this pseudonym or my real name and contributing this way, which is different from how I contribute on Twitter and predominantly a cryptocurrency narrative. Uh, right now those governments are definitely the controllers of, yeah. of the platform. Um, I don't think that's always going to be true.
0: It goes back to identity sort of philosophical point, which is I have different facets of myself and I engage in different ways and those there should be treated differently.
1: Yeah. And, and if you break that, that fourth wall, um, in the wrong form, I, I did this recently. Um, like if, <laughs> if I want to write poetry on my Twitter, that's not why people follow me. Yeah. And, like, they literally will unfollow you or tell you why are you talking yeah,
0: about poetry. You keep that to yourself.
1: Yeah. It's like <laughs> people have multiple lives. They just they just display them in different areas for different reasons in different ways. Yeah. I, I would read your poetry Twitter. I, I write poems, too. Oh, cool. We can share some, some yeah, next Yeah, <laughs> totally.
0: Lawson, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on the podcast. For people who want to learn more about your work, um, where can you point them to? And mm-hmm. any last plugs?
1: Yep. Um, so I'm L-W-S-N Baker, B-A-K-E-R, on Twitter and on Medium. Um, and that's where I talk about predominantly like cryptocurrencies and the future of work and incentives. Um, and then also you can find uh, TokenSoft um, at TokenSoft.io. TokenSoft is a white label software platform for um, helping companies doing token sales in addition to uh, custody assets. Uh, or you can also find my newest project, realizzero.com, um, zero spelled out, um, which is a software-based venture fund.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Lawson. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst.